Good evening and welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. On the show tonight, well, I'm having another go, and Steve Rutter will be here, as will Paul Thorpe, Ricky Hyatt's back, and so is Hilda Pryor. And I think we'll have all the football topics of the week ready for you. So sit back and enjoy. Three. Oh, good evening, everybody, and welcome to another podcast. And if you're wondering why I'm going to do a very quick introduction, it's because we've had a lot of problems this evening and we need to get through the items. So uh, my guests this evening, uh, Mr. Adrian Hopper. Good evening. How are you doing, Aid? Oh, Steve Rush has joined us. Hello. Ricky Hyatt's here. Good evening. And hopefully we'll be joined by Thorpe a little bit later as well, but his connections have been a little bit in and out so hopefully he will join us at a later date welcome to you all gentlemen um i want to get straight into it then um obviously a close connection with the oval town the big news this weekend coming out of the premier league was the fact that nathan jones uh was relieved of his duties at southampton um from a league perspective i think it turned out to be seven defeats and eight i think i'm right in saying um difficult isn't it we all know nathan jones uh, quite well some of you on a personal level which will obviously come to very passionate man particularly when he was at, at yeovil had nothing but just a complete uh, credit to his profession both on and off the pitch uh, done obviously really really good job at luton didn't quite work out at stoke but stoke were going through a very difficult period uh, at that point lots of big wages from the premier league era Goes back to Luton, ends up getting him in the playoffs, which is completely credible uh, for where they were expected to achieve. Gets his big opportunity. And unfortunately, um, I don't know, from my perspective, it just felt it didn't feel quite right from the start. Nothing against Nathan Jones, but I think when the fans are possibly against you right from the start, you're always going to be up against it um steve i want to i want to start with you obviously you worked closely with him uh during a spell at luton um firstly what what you made of the whole situation and have you spoken to nathan at all uh i haven't spoken to him um but i have looked at this quite closely and i'm gonna have a rant can i have a rant let me give you a few real simple stats Nathan's got a 35.7% win ratio. So he's won five out of 14 games since he's been at Southampton, albeit one out of eight in the Premier League, which is a better win ratio than Gordon Strachan had, who took him to an FA Cup final, and Graham Souness, and only two and a half percent is lower than Richard Pochettino, who had a 38% win ratio. So his actual win ratio wasn't bad. It's the Premier League games that have killed him. But Southampton, in the two transfer windows, in the summer and the winter, have signed 14 players for a combined total of 133.1 million euros. 
right? 14 players. An average age of 22.2. And before they kicked the ball for Southampton, a combined total of Premier League appearances of... Zero. Correct. Zero. It is a death sentence. And unfortunately for Nathan, his opportunity to go into the Premier League came at a club in absolute turmoil. Whoever oversaw the recruitment process at Southampton wants shooting. No manager had a chance. He's actually more successful than Hasenputl, who had a 34.1% win ratio in League and Cup. So it was just the wrong job at the wrong time. Um, yes, he's passionate. Yes, after the Brentford game, he said a few things that other people might find a bit strange and a bit egotistical. But it was a poison chalice and it was just the wrong job for the kid at the wrong time. AD, I'm going to bring you in next. Obviously, you know um, Nathan really well, obviously, from your from your time at, um, at Yeovil Town. Um, just on the recruitment side of it, a lot of it has come out recently that it does sound like that they went down the stats approach. We've spoken before on a previous podcast at just how stat-heavy the Premier League is at the moment. I think they've got an owner who is part of the Brentford setup who um, do this sort of moneyball style statistical analysis of uh, managers and recruitment. And Nathan Jones came out top of their list. Um, as Steve touches on, Nathan obviously couldn't turn it down and he earned the right to be there. But did it seem the best thing for all parties in the end to call it? a day even so early just because of how certainly from the outside it felt like it was starting to get quite toxic well knowing Nathan as I do and I've been working with him for I don't know, five six years uh, Nathan's not a quitter so I think despite the the fact that yes he was getting a bit toxic around the place and the fans had turned against him Nathan wouldn't have quit I, I can't imagine him ever quitting on, on a, a thing like that um, as to the players that was signed. Um, yes, I guess you could say that the, the guy that was obviously involved with Brentford as well is obviously going to speak highly of his stats, um, you know, way of doing things because it's worked so well for Brentford, and you know, it seems to be getting better and better for Brentford as well. So it's difficult to argue against the the principle, but but when it comes to the actual facts of it all, clearly those players um, weren't doing the job because you know, okay, but then. You could argue they did manage to beat Manchester City in the uh, League Cup, which perhaps if you know if they could have produced that form in the league as well, it might have been a bit different. But but you know I, I can't get my head around that one. But but you know take it from me, Nathan Jones is a good manager, and he and he's proved that at Luton, and and he will prove it somewhere else without any question at all. He will go somewhere else, and he will get it right if he's if he's given the the opportunity to do it his way. But I think he wants to do it his way, and maybe, maybe some of his ideas are just a little bit uh, out of kilter with the, the the management. I don't know. Thorpe, I'll come to you next. Did um, as uh, Steve touches on, if you know the guy, you might have completely interpreted uh, some of the things that he said, particularly after the um, not the game at the weekend, but the one previously, yeah. in a completely different light, which was obviously well publicised um, it, was, it was talked about on Match of the Day, it was talked about in on hmm. TalkSport for a lot of the week talking about um, 
what he might have meant and whether or not he was throwing his players under the bus. Um, in the end, do you think that in particular, from that moment onwards, as well as the performances uh, from the hierarchy perspective, looking at them objectively, um, just kind of all came together and resulted in the decision that they've now made? Yeah, I think if he look if he looks back at this in the future, I think he'll he'll certainly learn from that experience um, of, of what he said um, in a different light. Um, I know that the the uh, match of the day um, pundits on there were very critical of him. They said he has to go now straight away. You know, they said that's it. You know, he needs to go. So they probably look at it in a different different way to what we probably um, would do anyway. But I think that, as, as Steve said, the guy had no chance right from the word go. Fans were against him. The fans wanted somebody else. Um, stats can be a good thing in certain areas. I know Steve likes a, a few stats, but I think there's also the, um, the the human element to it that I think that uh, needs to be looked at. Could he like you know talk to these players? Could he change the, their their mental attitude because they were on a losing streak anyway? Um, they had a few little like nice um, pointers. Obviously, one of them being beating Man City in the in the in the Carabao Cup. But I just think that right from the word go, um, as as Steve has, has sort of mentioned, that uh, the guy had just had no chance. And to be given seven games or whatever games he's been given to um, to try and turn it around, he's got no chance. You need probably eighteen months minimum. And in that in that point you might have needed to go down to come back up as a stronger element but um, they, they, they've obviously just gone I want the stats you've got to hit the game the, the ground running you'd never put out you know I don't know about Steve but Steve would never put out 20, 20 year olds and a team of 20 22 year olds even in the conference and say go out there and try and win a game let alone in the premiership would you Steve well, not having any not no, having any experience. Apart from Ward Prowse, Paul, there's nobody there who knows how to win a game in the Premier League. No. Basically. Yeah. You know I mean? uh, so you're 100%. Like lambs to the slaughter. You've got yeah. to have a structure. Even Manchester United, when they said you win nothing with kids, they had four or five kids in the team and then had some experienced players around them. Around them. They've got yeah. no experience in the building. You know, it's, yes. it, it, you're like, it's a wing and a prayer. And the two people they've signed in the summer, you know, in the winter, with all due respect, uh. Campbell Dean Suleimana because he was the fastest man at the World Cup finals. Well, didn't Dallin Campbell win an Olympic sprint medal and play for Weymouth? Played for Weymouth. Yeah, couldn't score a goal. Saying, I'm not saying the boy Suleiman is a bad player, but what I'm saying is he's never done it in the Premier League. There's no guarantee. And the boy on the from Genk, uh, from Racing Genk, the last player that came from Racing Genk to the Premier League in a fanfare was Morabuana Samata. Went to Aston Villa, do you remember? Yeah, yeah. One, scored one goal in, I can't remember, it was 30 games or something. Um, and has disappeared back on loan to Turkey or somewhere. So the standard's massively different. And expect them to come in and just start ripping the Premier League up is is absolute lunacy. I just, so, want, yeah. to bring, um, I just want to bring Rick in a moment. Uh, so I heard from you, Net. Yeah, Rick. Um, obviously, you've had a chance to listen to what the, the boys have had yeah. to say on it. Uh, Thorpe just touched on it there a little bit. You look at the stats approach and it doesn't bring the human element into it it's could this perhaps have been a a perfect matchup if jones was coming in say to this southampton side in a summer rather than coming in when he did and it needed to be a firefighting job and suddenly the brief is totally different 
Well, if, if he'd have had some input into the, the players that were coming in, that might have helped. <laughs> and also, just, just, just one thing about it, I think at the end of the season, when Southampton go down, because it is a poison chalice and if they chase a glamorous name or whatever, I can't see that they're going to avoid relegation this season. They might actually be looking around and saying, well, at least Nathan Jones, we got a win against Manchester City with him in charge, which is probably better than whoever's incoming is is going to have. He's just got he just got thrown under the bus. And it's with this, this press conference thing. I think he was just fighting his corner. He might not have done it in the most articulate and the, and the best structured sort of way, but that's how it came across to me. And there is also the fact that since then, there has been a more unhinged press conference from a manager prior to the weekend as well. So it wasn't the maddest managerial outburst of the season by a long way. So I, I just, I feel, I feel for him because now that's, that's two big jobs, if you like, that um, he's had unfortunate circumstances with. And I just hope for his sake that he gets an opportunity and gets a, gets a third one because he deserves better than the way he's been treated by the two clubs involved. I certainly don't think he'll need to worry about uh, racing back into football with because uh, his payout would have been extremely, yeah. <laughs> extremely good. I mean, but the, if you look at the the odds on all the betting, the next guy that's going to get that job, a court is so odds on according to all the is Jesse March. Jesse March well, yeah. well, so so if you think that you know, what's he going to do? I yeah. mean, he's got yeah, the same. Doesn't, doesn't that show how stupid football squad. is these days? A man like Jesse March, who's just been sacked over the weekend, and then within two days, Southampton are saying, oh, we're going to give him the job. I mean, talk about a panic move. Dear, oh, dear. Football, bloody hell. Yeah, that sums it all. (laughs) It's exactly what Steve says. I mean, it's the the actual club is in complete turmoil. And and like you say, the first thing you do there, if if you're the owner of this one, you look at the recruitment. Because the recruitment is is vital with any any football club, and if you get the recruitment right, the world's your oyster like. But if you get it they wrong, but if, even if they go down, Paul, if they if they'd stuck with Nathan, for example, they made the decision to get rid of Hasselhoff. Fine, okay, and they've they've put Nathan in. They've signed loads of young players. They've paid 133 million euros, so they must Crazy. bank on the fact that they've got a better squad than any team in the championship. Yeah. So if they go down, the players with another year's experience will be 23 going on 24. If you think you've picked good players, surely you'd back yourself for those players to get you straight back out the championship and straight back <laughs> into the Premier League. Well, you, you, look at, getting... um, you look at Graham Potter at Chelsea. He's hardly pulling up any trees there at the moment with no. the money that they've spent. And they're yeah. publicly backing him and saying that they're thinking about next season. Yeah. What, why couldn't... Southampton do exactly the same thing with Nathan. This is, this is the irony, isn't it? This is the irony that um, if Southampton do bring in, say, a Jesse March, they go down. Um, <laughs> they go down. March probably isn't going to be there when they have a championship season, is he? And they'll turn it around and they'll want a championship manager. Or oh, who's the decent championship manager yeah. that they would probably want? Oh, Nathan Jones. This does done quite well. <laughs> yeah. Just the, 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 game, the game is awash with lunatics, unfortunately. I, com- I completely agree. It is quite, I found it quite alarming, boys, as well. If you actually look at the list of managers who are potentially available on both the Southampton and the, the Leeds list, and it, it seems quite a, 
a gap in who you would possibly expect Premier League clubs we spoke about last week, all the money that they've got. OK, I appreciate Southampton are a bit more of a precarious position than Leeds. But some of the names are on the list, the fact that I'm moving on slightly a little bit, but Leeds United, they were suddenly the next person they were linked with, with a guy that's just been sacked from Ajax, who wasn't able to take on uh, the team from Ten Hag. It was expected to win the league at the canter and found themselves um, in third place, lagging behind. I think that's now been completely ruled out. But, Steve, just looking at some of the names on the lists, um, it's amazing just how much of a struggle, I guess, for want of a better word, that these clubs are actually having to find managers, considering how global the game is. Yeah, well, I don't think it's that difficult to find a manager. What they want is a manager who's instantly going to give them a return on their investment and guarantee them success, and and that doesn't exist anywhere. In <laughs> so, Rafael Benitez there. out there, but would Rafa Benitez want to go to Southampton, having seen what's happened? Would he want to pick up that squad and say, "Oh, I think he might go there and say, listen, give me this season and next season. If we go down, I'll get you back up.'" But he's he's going to dictate on his terms. He's not going to go somewhere. And you know, Nathan probably took conditions that were slightly different to somebody like a Benitez would take because Nathan wanted the opportunity and, and any young coach would be the same but there's lots of experienced managers out there floating around Thomas Tuchel's floating around Nuno Espirito Santo is in the Middle East might want to come back you know there's loads of people but the club have got to decide what is it they want and stick with it for a period of time Not in a short space of time have we has football already evolved in say 12 months so for example 12 months ago teams in the Leeds and Southampton position ADL come to you they were straight on the phone to an Allardyce they were straight on the phone to these characters to say right this is written off come in we want someone to go back to basics we're gonna we're gonna try and fight and scrap our way out of this how come someone like Sam AD is now in the space of 12 months seen redundant himself has football just gone Oh, quite no. a, quite in a different direction in the space of 12 months because he's not even on any of the lists and I know he's not everyone's cup of tea but you would expect him to be a candidate, no? Well, you would, but equally he's, he's 68 years old now, I think I read somewhere. Um, maybe he's getting a bit past it in terms of his own um, you know, drive and, and uh, enthusiasm to do the job because every time he gets a job it's, it's you've got to save us, you've got to keep us in the division. True. Well, after a point, there must come a point you think, oh, God, not again, not another lame duck that I've got to save. Um, but but also, do you not think that some of these managers, I mean, look at, the, you know, the, the, the sheer case of Leeds United, I think they've been turned down by three or four managers, none of whom were particularly, you know, supermen, put it that way, right? Um, and Southampton, I suspect, are going to get something similar because, as Steve's pointed out, you know, they're probably going to go down. The, the job is going to have to be next season. And they're going, oh, I don't want to be a championship manager. I want to be a Premier League manager. So, you know, I think they're going to have a, a job to get a, a replacement unless they can sort of somehow get uh, Sam Allardyce, you know, to, to pick up the cudgels and do something. OK, well, let's let's we've got so much to talk about um, this week. So let's um, bring it back to the football on the pitch, because I want to talk about VAR decision number one in my list of how I've got it written down here. So in the game, we saw Lamina get sent off. I'm, I'm trusting you boys would have would have seen this. Uh, if you hadn't, he got 
a routine yellow card, what I call a routine yellow card for a trip, um, relatively trip. I think it was quite high on the ankle, actually. Uh, definite yellow card. The second one was because he was encroaching the referee. Now, there's a couple of elements here because apparently a new directive has passed that if you encroach the referee, you're allowed to be booked. Well, that seems to have just slipped in without anybody knowing about it because it only really got flagged up this weekend because that's exactly what Lamina did. And not only did he do it, he was the third man that approached Mm. the referee, didn't really say too much, had a yellow card. And then I think, in my own opinion, the referee panicked and thought, oh, no, it's Lamina. He's already been booked. And then obviously had to send him off. Um, Rick, I'll come to you. What did you make of VAR decision number one? Bonkers. Absolute nonsense. It's like you said, the thing about it is the fact that he was the third one there. And like you said, Ruben Neves and another chap were there first. Why were they not? If this is such a, a heinous crime, why, why were they not booked? And then, like you said, I don't think he realised, the referee realised that he'd already booked him and he'd gone too far down the road then. And you, it's just mad. It's absolutely bonkers. And uh, the scary thing is it probably wasn't the worst decision of the weekend, but it still makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Dorpe, do you agree with that? 100%. <laughs> I mean, first and foremost, if they're going to do it for encroachment, then they are going to be giving out a hell of a lot of yellow cards. You know, because um, it's in every single game, nearly for every single decision that's going on, you've got players still going up to, to, to the referee. I mean, it, listen, the, the FA and the Referees Association... I've had certain opportunities in the past to, to deliver a fantastic, um, you know, they had the 10-yard rule. If you, if you come up to the referee, have a go, you can move it back 10 yards. They had a classic chance there to enforce that. And then what the, re- the managers have been saying, lads, shut your mouths, because otherwise we're going to be right back on our, our, our goal map. From this, Steve, they had a great opportunity to do that, and they never implemented. What they do is they get these ideas and they don't implement them. And then to actually then say, right, if you're going to do me because I'm the third person there, why are you not booking the first two? So the, the, it's lunacy, absolute lunacy. And again, it's about the referee association and the FA getting together, putting the reds together, and be honest with you, making a campfire because they're that crap at it. And that's really all I've got to say on it. They're well, we'll come on to that. Hold, hold that. Hold that thought, Thorpe, because like I say, this is VAR I know. decision number one. Number one. On the list. We've got plenty more, plenty more on the list on this week's um, podcast. I remember so we'll, them all now. <laughs> so we'll go. We'll go. Yeah, I, I've got it written down in front of me, and I might have missed some. I don't doubt it. So I want to go to Arsenal Brentford next because it was key key game in the, in the title race, and um, it also takes me on to VAR decision number two. Um, so Tony equalising after Trossard getting his first goal yeah. um, for the Arsenal um, AD I'll come to you first so with this one the referee seemed to take such a long time looking at the first phase of the offside that nobody seemed to notice that Norgard was standing free in an offside position when he headed the ball across to give it to Tony do you have sympathy for Mikhail Arteta in this one? Well, I suppose I do, and I suppose the fact that Mason is reputed to have uh, forgotten to draw in the uh, the offside lines or whatever, so that he could <laughs> see clearly what was going on. So uh, I suppose you'd have to feel a little bit for um, 
Arsenal because you know clearly they were uh, well they were cheated in that particular situation weren't they? Has oh, huge impacts, doesn't it? Oh on, God, yeah. Know. And I think this is where the referees and, and the VAR uh, type people, I'm sure they it never really crosses their mind the implications of supposing Nathan Jones had had a dodgy well he did to a degree um, have have a dodgy decision beforehand and then the next day he's sacked. I mean, all right, you might argue well he's he's got a good payoff he probably has but that's that's not the point. The principle is he's he's out of a job and. You know, Arsenal and Brentford, they could have been somebody else out of a job because of somebody else making a mess of it. Um, you know, they've, they've got a hugely responsible job and I, don't, I just don't think some of them are taking it seriously enough. Steve, with this one, can you fathom any kind of explanation of how they missed this one? <laughs> no, but I've just got a vision of him sitting in Stockley Park with a protractor and a pencil. <laughs> in the offside line in different colours. Oh, I forgot the blue, I forgot the red. Mm. Um, listen, the, the, the rules quite clearly state that when a free kick is played in, if one of your the attacking players is in an offside position and comes out and blocks a recovering defender deliberately, then he is offside. Uh, and Pe Ethan Pinnock deliberately blocked the player and stopped him yeah. getting out of the far post to block. So he's offside. It, he's offside, it's as simple as that. To miss that one is bad enough. And he did draw the line in for that one, apparently. He did have his coloured pencils available. <laughs> but then to miss the second one, because he spent so long getting the first one wrong, is absolutely shambolic. When you think they sat there for three minutes looking at the video and still got it wrong because he didn't consider that Pinnock, Pinnock sorry, had interfered with the Arsenal defender, even though he was blocking him and stopping him getting out to, to get to the second ball. So Steve, it, why did they do it in that order? What the obvious one was the ball across to Tony. That was the clear and obvious. Yeah. The, the, the first ball in, when the first ball is delivered in, Pinnock, who's in an offside position, yeah. comes back and blocks up. So that's the first offence. That's yeah. the one he looked at. He is offside. By the definition of the laws of the game, he is offside because he comes How long from did an offside take you position. It five se five seconds. If if exactly. that. He's standing offside, he comes the other way, he blocks the fella from getting to the ball. He's offside. Blow the whistle, free kick. But to spend three minutes looking at it, get it wrong, and as a result of being so busy getting that wrong, to miss the next one is absolutely laughable. It's like you're in the third world or something. I think Move you on, Dave. Come on, next one. There. <laughs> next. What can yeah. you say? The, the, thing, the, the thing is, though, Dave, this is the difference between players, players, footballers that have played the game you know, mm. and, and referees, that unfortunately, if they have played the game, it wasn't for very long, you know, and, and that's the reason they got into refereeing because they're, they're, they're seeing it in a totally different light. And this, they've made it so complex that it, even footballers are struggling to understand it, you know, and that's where it is. Where before, it was dead simple. You know, now it's so complex. You've got phase one, phase two. Yeah, is he interfering? Is he not interfering? You know, it really gives them a free-for-all to make up their own mind to, to, to what it is. And it shouldn't be like that. You know, if it, the first one is very, very clear. The second one, well, yeah. as Steve... They do understand, gone. don't they? Because the referees went round to all the clubs at the start of the season and told the managers, in this situation, if your player is offside, yeah. in, when the ball is and comes back and deliberately blocks an opponent, he will be given offside. So they clearly yeah. understand that that's the rule because that's why they've gone and told all the clubs 
that's the yeah. rule. So yeah. just apply the rule. Yeah. There's the video. He blocks him off. You can see the fella trying to get round him and he don't let him go. It's a foul. Offside. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. And the problem is the consistency that we're getting at the moment is, is a, a, probably at an all-time low. So the, the <laughs> wonder that, you know, is, and, and this is going to cost, if this costs Arsenal the championship, you know, that, that, that uh, they lose by one point and they've got three points from that. You know, that, that's a championship gone. Because of they're getting it so wrong for everybody else as well, it'll even itself out. <laughs> it, yeah, the problem is the problem is it was evening itself out before we had all this VAR. So I don't want to go back to the old. The old it was much old, more entertaining. Oh, far more entertaining. And what they're doing, in fact, is um, is is they're taking goals out of football. You know, and you you wouldn't get basketball baskets taken out of basketball. You wouldn't get touchdowns taken out of there. But what's the, what they're actually doing is diminishing the entertainment value. In the joy football. out of it. And the, and the joy out of it. And if for that one reason, I, yeah. I'd rather see it gone. Because when, when you're taking something out of the sport, which is the highlight of, of the actual game, is what we all watch it for, goals and the excitement of it. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just damning. Damning and ruining, totally ruining the game as far as I'm concerned. But um, is it, are we back on? Yeah. Oh, we are. Well, you were, um, ne- you were so, never offered, I think. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> I, I, I was, so, but you weren't. All ah, right. So, if, for that for that reason, you know, I'm, 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 I'd rather go back. I mean, I, you know, I was one person that actually said, you know, it, there's so much money in football now that these decisions need to be right. You know, what I'd like to see now is is let's get rid of the referees, you know, and put <laughs> football people in there. Who could actually see that? Like Steve said, how long did it take you, Steve? Two seconds. He knew straight away. So mm-hmm. what you know, to me, let's get Steve on it because he's far, far more qualified. <laughs> far, far more qualified. Well, before we do get Steve on it, we've still got quite a few decisions to get yeah. through uh, tonight. Oh, um, the next one, um, I'm going to talk about the Leicester Spurs game. Um, just on the, is this decision number three now or four? It's three, isn't it? Three. three. Yeah. Decision number three is the Barnes offside goal. So it didn't really make any difference in the grand scheme of things. And some people might look at this one and think that it's a little bit more cut and dry because it was your classic uh, on the shoulder of the last defender. The lines come across that you're so used to seeing now and they just, they gave it the red line rather than the green line, and it was sort of seen as it's fair enough. But it seemed to me, um, Rick, we'll, st- we'll come to you on this one, that yes. they just drew the line anywhere where they felt fit to draw the line. I mean, if you just look at it objectively, he's not offside, is he? No. Did he's you not. need the line? They just Again, it's the thing we keep coming back to. With Steve's box of crayons, isn't it? I mean, they're just overcomplicating <laughs> it for the sake of it. Anybody who knows anything about football will look at that and say that's nonsense. You don't need to draw lines in. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and with the actual uh, performance itself, AD Spurs were taken to the cleaners, weren't they, against Leicester? Um, I just wanted to ask the question that obviously they struggled at the start of the season. And it was well publicised that they didn't actually sign any players. Just it just goes to show that you have a bit of an active window, which they did, and I think they signed three players uh, in January. 
with the return of Madison as well, it's no surprise that their form is now turning back around. Well, no, it's also no surprise that the manager was, was, was retained and they didn't suddenly, you know, get rid of him. Or, or you know, take him... I mean, it must have been a little bit hairy for some of the Leicester people because they were going through a very bad patch at one stage, but they've slowly, slowly crept back and that was a good performance against Spurs, wasn't it? I mean... Uh, Unfortunately, United have got to play Leicester next game, so be interesting to see what happens from that one. But uh, you know, so I mean, Spurs are going through a little bit of a wobbly patch, aren't they? Without any doubt, and you know, they, they, they. I think they perhaps got sidetracked a little bit when Harry Kane scored the the goal that took him to the top of the Spurs um, goal scorers list above Jimmy Greaves. Because um, I think don't, I don't think anybody ever thought that anyone would get past Jimmy Greaves back along, but they've certainly been to change their opinion now. But uh, you know they 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 are very inconsistent at the moment, Spurs. You can't say anything else. And not only that, they've now um, I think it's just been confirmed that Benton Core is going to be out for seven yeah. months as well, which is going to be a huge blow for them. Thorpey. I was just going to add to that one. You know, I, I got to compliment the actual board of Leicester because they, when they were going through that um, dodgy spell, you know, it was quite evident that they had a lot of injuries. You know, and um, and they they didn't panic. They they realised that when they got them back, they have made a couple of signings, like you say. But you know, the the players that they're getting back um, are making a massive difference, and um, I think that's very evident in the change of form back to to where they should be playing you know and the, the way they should be playing so um i think that's evident that uh, so well done to their board for actually sticking by their man and um you know i'm waiting for those those um you know those the the injured players come back and they're still not performing they've got a different problem then but they haven't they come back in and they're they're obviously now competing well um they're pressing well and those uh valuable players in uh, are, are back at the you know the old stomping ground and um and doing well and not only that, Thorpe, they've they've uh, paid off 194 million pounds worth of debt from the from the football club or switched them to the to the parent company, whatever. I mean, that's that's a huge from a manager's point of view to suddenly have all your debts wiped off. I mean, his his hands are suddenly been untied, as it were, haven't they? Absolutely, absolutely. So there's there's a football club being run fairly well. I don't mm. know where the, this hundred you know money goes, but um, yeah. It certainly allows you, your manager to concentrate on, on the football side, doesn't it? Yeah. The, um, the, the last one on Leicester, Steve, I'll come to you. With Brendan Rodgers, is he living proof of um, the type of manager that you just don't know if he's any good or not? Because his stock has been so up and down and has almost followed the trajectory of Leicester. He was linked with just about everybody last season. Manchester United and Spurs in particular. Then you look at the start that Leicester had and we spoke about how his stock is so low and he isn't linked with anybody. And now after a couple of wins and Leicester and board have stuck with him and suddenly his stock is on the rise again, that he's one of those managers that is always just sort of going to be dividing opinion and just goes to show in a microcosm yeah. how football actually is. <laughs> I, I mean, that, in actual fact, it, 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 you know, you might look at him and he might say he's doing some of his best work when Leicester are having their toughest times because that's when you you really have to test yourself and, you know, solve problems. But I think his track record, wherever he's been, whether you like him as a manager or you don't like him as a manager, it, he's done very well at the clubs he's been at. He's produced an attractive attacking style of football which people like to watch. 
Um, he's happy to put young players in, people like Kieran Dewsbury Hall, who is he's a regular now. Mm. Um, you know, and, and he he plays front foot football, which a lot of people like. Um, so I think you'd have to give him a lot of credit. And like you said earlier, you know, the board have got to take a lot of credit as well because they haven't panicked. They've just said, look, it's a blip. We'll pick up again, and they're getting their reward. So it's you know that's exactly what you'd want. But as a manager, you'd want your board to show you that backing. So next on the list then is VAR decision number four. Count them, guys. <laughs> number four. Um, <laughs> And I'm going to take you to the London Stadium in the game between West Ham um, and Chelsea. Before we talk about the game itself, we will talk about uh, the decision. Um, who wants to take this? Just just want a bit of a free-for-all, because you know what I'm going to say. Suchek, what a brilliant save. Great what save. Exactly. Thorpey, what are they looking at? What are they looking at? Fantastic save. Give him the gloves. Uh, I mean, again, I mean, what's going on? What is going on? If that's not clear, you know, and you could even drop it down to slow-mo if you really, really wanted to, you know, and then then you get even a clearer picture. And then they decide that's okay. Well, uh, is it, again. Isn't that, though, the, the whole point of VAR in the first place? If, he, if, you, if you take it back to the very point of it existing, was to get rid of the clear and obvious error, not yeah. necessarily the yeah. marginal ones and things like that, but <laughs> the that. How clear and obvious can it get? Yeah, how clear and obvious can it get? It's, yeah. Does anyone on this it, panel? Does anyone on this panel? Sorry, Thorby, have any idea how you think they might have come to the decision on why it was a penalty? Yeah. Let's let's do it no, that way, Steve. None, yeah. none, yeah. none whatsoever. The, the the rules dictate that if you go to ground and your arm is between your body and the ground is perceived to be breaking your fall and the ball hits your hand, it's not a handball. So that would be the basis on which I would imagine that the referee has reached this conclusion, even though his arm was out slightly to his side, etc., etc., etc. But it's, again, it's just the issues of consistency. Because if you remember in the World Cup, very similar thing happened. The ball went through somebody's legs and his arm was down behind him and it hit his hand. He couldn't even see where his hand was and they gave a penalty and they scored from the penalty. So... Mm. 99% of people would have said in that situation there, he's not only gone down with his arm, he's actually moved his arm out to the side. So his arm has gone to make contact with the ball. So you'd normally expect to get a penalty for that, I would imagine. And but the, I, would, the, I would suggest that's what they're hiding behind. Yeah, that, the important part of that one is the ball is going goalward bound, possibly going the net, we don't know, but it's actually going goal bound and he's put his arm, you know, it's not, it's not like by the side of him, it's actually gone out to the left and... Yeah. And it's very, very clear that that's an absolute penalty. Uh, you know, no, 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 no two ways about it. In, in terms of the actual the game itself, it was another game in which Chelsea obviously failed, uh, failed to win it. Um, having said that, Aid, if they're going to take some positives from this one, um, Jao Felix does look like he potentially might find a little bit of a home at Chelsea. Yeah. Um... Quite expensive, though, if he does, I suspect, because they're going to be wanting, talking about another hundred million, I would imagine, um, if he did stay there. Um, but yes, I mean, he, you know, he looked quite useful, didn't he, uh, for Chelsea, and uh, scored a goal. So, but you know, I mean, I'm sure most people, if they were watching the game, would have thought, well, that you know, they've gone in front now, um, they'll carry on and win the game quite easily. But they didn't, did they? Um, which was uh, quite surprising, I think. And 
you know, credit to West Ham to a degree to coming back and holding them. And if it hadn't actually been for a correct VAR decision, yeah, Declan Rice being offside. Oh, yes, you're absolutely right. Credit yeah. where credit's due, Avery. Eh, really? VAR got one right. <laughs> one for VAR. Yeah. So, so that's four-one then on our um, little VAR scorecard that we've got coming <laughs> but, but, up. Who would like a, another one? What a, what a would you like another one? Oh, go on, spoilers. Go on, spoilers. Do you want another one? Do you want another one? Because I've got another one for you in the Crystal Palace Brighton game. Um, this one, I don't know. the wrong player? Yeah, so this one was very interesting because, yes, it was quite clear in the end that they just didn't draw the line at the player who was the last man. Albeit he was just very much slightly behind them. So I don't know if you could necessarily get a clear angle. I'm just clutching at straws and playing devil's advocate. Steve is wrong on whichever way you look at it. Listen, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not being funny. You've got Mark Guerhi, you've got the other lad, Tompkins, who they drew the line against. I think I could recognise them at 100 paces, the difference between yeah. them. Mm-hmm. And they, they put the line, even with him in the picture, they put the line level with the other defender. I mean, how it's possible, I just do not know. <laughs> Uh, it's, 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 you just couldn't write it, could you? You couldn't write it for them to get things like that wrong. Well, you can, but it'll be in the wrong place. <laughs> it's just an absolute, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's actually like Rick said earlier. They were there for clear and obvious errors. You know, that's a clear and obvious error, and then they've compounded the clear and obvious error by putting a line in the wrong place. Oh. You cannot stop the game for minutes and get so many obvious decisions wrong and say that VAR has any value to the game. And it's the lack of communication about the decisions as well, because everybody in the ground is sat around for three minutes not knowing what's going on. And in fa- fairness to other sports where video stuff is used, and I banged on, banged the drum about this one previously, and apparently it's down to FIFA, not the FA. In cricket, in rugby, everybody is piped into the situation, they hear the conversation, you might not agree with it, but you know how it's been reached. Whereas this, there's just nothing. There's no communication at all. You just get given the result of um, whatever it is that they're talking about, because it, it seems to be something completely different to what the pictures are showing. What would you rather have though, Rick? Information about what's going on and they get the decision wrong, or not being told, but they get the right decision and they get it quickly? I don't know. Do you want to be shot or hung? I'd, I'd rather. I'd, I'd go for number two. Get the right decision. Do it get quickly. Right decision, yeah. And move it. You can tell me yeah. why later. I don't need yeah. you at the time to tell me. And I'm sitting there saying, "But you've got the line against the wrong player. You know, we've put yeah. the line against James Tompkins' leg, and he's clearly offside. Yeah, but he's not the last defender. I can see that myself because I'm sitting in the stand. So just get it right. Just get yeah, it right. You're asking an awful lot of these people to just get it right, Steve. It seems to be beyond them. Pro- problem is these these uh these mistakes are getting so bad. It like it like Steve says, it's embarrassing, you know, and it is absolutely embarrassing. Well, this is it's the make, worst weekend making, we've had. I think it's, it's the, the worst weekend. It's the mock- since making a mockery of the game, though, isn't it? It's complete mockery of, of a fantastic sport and event is being absolutely spoiled by VAR or by the absolute idiots that are running the VAR. AD, I think you're going to have to change the name of this week's podcast. I really do. <laughs> Just to give VAR, the bloody hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's just, 
I tried my best to try and get a load of topics together that don't include the dominance of the decisions, but you can't. Mm. Everything has been so impactful um, that you just can't get away from it. And like I say, I, I think it's possibly the worst weekend that we've had. And that brings me to um, Howard Webb, who's now uh, in charge, who I'm told, I'm told, um, has made some impact since he, he's gone in there, whether that's communication with um, between the officials and the clubs behind the scenes. I'm, I'm not I'm not sure. I haven't looked too much into it, I must, I must admit. But the damning thing that I thought that came out today was the fact that they're going to have a, he's going to have a meeting with all the officials tomorrow, I think at the time of recording, so Tuesday, to go through all the decision. An apology was made um, from the, it's the PGMOL, isn't it? The, yeah. um, the body that it hides behind, if you like. Um, an apology has been made to certain clubs, not all clubs, that I believe were affected by some of these decisions it seems to me ad that even after the event that they're still objectively making the decision about which ones actually warrant an apology well i think it's going to be interesting come the end of the season because if the if the end of the season turns out to be very tight and uh as as we mentioned earlier you know arsenal might might perhaps lose it because of that decision or or manchester city will be moaning they'll be moaning because of the uh the alleged 100 and however many is uh, breaking of rules, etc., etc. What you know, what's going what's going to happen at the end of the season if it carries on at this rate? You know, clubs are going to be putting in lawsuits into the to the arbitration um, sport sports arbitration mob. It's just it's got to be put right. And the, and you know, Howard Welm's got a, he's got a, he's got a you know he's got to really put his foot down. And people like Lee Mason, who's been around and who's quite you know, he's, it's, this is not the first time Lee Mason, for for example, has been involved in a um, a, a bit of a rumpus about a, a bad decision, and he did it constantly when he was an actual referee out on the pitch rather than in the VAR room. So, you know, surely his time has come, hasn't it? I don't like to see a bloke getting put out of work, but on the other hand, if you can't do the job properly, mm-hmm. don't do it at all. So, one of the officials was has now been pulled out of the Liverpool Everton game. Uh, as we record this on the Monday, I'm not sure which one it is. Rick, do you know? But I'm that... not sure which one it is. I, I did read no, the same but... thing. I, I thought it was the VAR one that they pulled out. Yeah, yes, VAR official. Sorry, yes, yeah, they they pulled out one of the. Is it Neil Swarbrick? Possibly. No, it's John oh, somebody. John somebody. Oh, uh, okay. He's probably lost his red pencil. Yeah, so he can't <laughs> he can't join in tonight. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. You're absolutely right. I said to Rick um, that um, if ever a game's got a Liverpool nil, Everton one, Calvert Lewin header written all over it, I think it's this one. Calvert Lewin's not playing, according to my phone. Sims is playing up front, whoever he is. Just very quickly, then. Obviously, it's going to be a little bit out of date by the time the podcast comes available. But um, Everton have got every chance in that game, haven't they? With the way things are going. Hmm. Team in form. Yeah. They're yeah. only as good as the last game. Go on, Deutsche. <laughs> uh, talk amongst yourselves a minute. I'll just have a little chat with Jürgen. Oh, hmm. no, you're not going. Oh, was... Cut out there we go. Are we going to win tonight? 
yeah, 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 we're going to win today. So I, I realised that doesn't make very good audio when I'm pretending that he's whispering in my no, ear. No, exactly. Right, we'll move on. If anyone's wondering why I have a couple cut out of him, uh, never mind. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think we want to go there, do you? <laughs> we weren't. We, we, no, we, we, don't, we don't want to go there at all. It's a lo- so, lovely fetish you've got there. <laughs> so, it's, um, it's almost as bad as my, my public confession. That, that is that I quite like Harry Styles' record. We'll, we'll move on from there. Did you watch the Brits at all? Yes, I was. I did. I, I, it was I embarrassing. Did. I, it. I thought I watched it out of a fascination. I, I just wanted to see when Sam Smith was going to make an idiot of himself, and then I just got drawn into it. And it is the most shambolic TV I think I've ever seen. Hmm. Sam Smith. We, should, Sam maybe, we good. should maybe park it there before we have Sam Smith conversations because we'll no, be taking yeah. off. I've got, to, I've got to bring that in. I'm sorry, I've got to bring that. Is Sam Smith not wearing the new referee's uniform? <laughs> 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 oh my God. It's a freak show. <laughs> so they're doing really well. You've got a freak show there and you've got a freak show on a Saturday afternoon at three yeah. o'clock. Let's put them together. I'd love to see him in that outfit. It was totally embarrassing, the whole programme. Do you think that instead of Howard Webb, they should put Sam Smith in charge of uh, PR? He couldn't do any worse, could he? Unbelievable. Shocking. Unbelievable. I've got so many things I want to say that I just can't. Can't. I can't. can't. Um, Fulham 2, Forest 0. Let's take it to the cottage. Um, Reason being... I think I think that's it for VAR decisions across the board, boys. Unless there's any that I've missed. Just the five this weekend. Okay. <laughs> Just the five, um, and that's before obviously Liverpool play Everton. So you might get another one in the weekend as well. But I want to talk about Fulham Forest because uh, I want to talk about both these teams. Firstly, Forest because um, Thorpe, have you ever seen anything like this at all? That centre back pairing of Bolly and McKenna. Both had to come off in the seventh yeah. minute, sixth minute, seventh minute in the yeah. same incident, and you're pulling two of your centre backs off, and suddenly that's that just changes the whole complex of uh, the whole complexity of the of the game, uh, and so it proved. And um, yeah, I never see, never seen it like it. Both in, injured in the same incident, like so, uh, and both both uh, bad injuries as well. And um, oh, so really? yeah. That's it. Potential long termers. Yeah, I, I, I believe that they're. Uh, yeah, not. It's not a, a simple. Well, so I was led to believe that not a simple fix. So, um, yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, totally messes up your whole back line. And um, yeah, unfortunate for them, they then go down two 0 So uh, it's going to mess up. It takes a while to get back in the swing of things. Obviously, like and. Uh, but uh, yeah, never seen anything like that before. Absolutely crazy. I don't know whether Steve has seen a lot more football than I have. Not, not them both dig off at the same time and with the same injury as well, which is just amazing, wasn't it? Crazy. Time, you know, Crazy. Bonkers, really. But uh, mm. and it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you, you probably have a, another defender on the bench, but you're very unlikely to put two centre-halves on the bench. Exactly. Uh, so exactly. Then you're, you're, you're filling in, you put a centre-half in maybe you've got, plus you get a full-back or a midfield player to drop in, and then it changes the whole dynamic of what you can and can't do. Um but he's, he's done well, Steve Cooper, to be fair to him. Oh, well, both of Marco Silva's at Fulham as well. And, um, yeah. I was going to say, both, just on that, point, Steve, um, Williams having a lovely old time, isn't he? Oh, renaissance, isn't he? I mean, his goal was magnificent. But, Great uh, goal. And, he, and then he came inside on his right foot second half and hit the post. So, you know, it can go both ways. Um, 
but yeah, he's, he's, he's thoroughly enjoying his time anyway. And um, I'll finish top half the table and I'll be well pleased with that, I would have thought. <laughs> ah, sorry. Um, he goes both ways, as does Sam Smith. Um, so for... <laughs> Um, Nav, I said I was going <laughs> to... This is why we can't talk about it. You couldn't resist um, it, could you? <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't. Uh, uh, um, I'll let you decide whether you leave alone. that in or not. <laughs> I'll let you decide whether you leave that in or not. Um, the goalkeeper, AD, obviously um, Henderson has gone to not. <laughs> yeah. Um, Henderson obviously going to Nottingham Forest to be the number one this season, injured at the moment. Mm-hmm. But then... January window, they managed to pull off an absolute coup in bringing in five, five-time Champions League winner Kalor Navas. Henderson's not that far behind in terms of his recovery. What happens now well, <laughs> when he's back and fit and going? I would have thought, first off, that Man United would have had some sort of clause saying that they want him to play on a regular basis, I would have thought. Uh, I don't know whether Steve can enlarge us on that in, in these sort of loan deals. Do they do they do that sort of thing? But but he's going um, probably not at that level. I wouldn't have thought. I wouldn't have thought Forrest would have accepted a mandate that he's got to play. Hmm. Um, but there might be some sort of financial penalty if he doesn't play a certain amount of games. Um, would one of them? Would but, one of them have definitely had a conversation? I appreciate that Henderson's injured, but Navas would have had a conversation of right. Obviously, we want you for six months, but. Either you're going to just be cover for when Henderson's back, he's going to be number one, or do you think Henderson would have definitely had a conversation of, look, you're out injured at the moment, but we've got an opportunity to sign Navas and we just can't turn it down. Would that kind of conversation happened definitely to one of them? Because otherwise the transfer, yeah. I mean, it's a hell of a... Yeah, it's Wayne, Wayne Hennessy's there as well, isn't he? Yeah. 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 So I, was, I would think that they've probably said to Keelor Navas, look, come in and you'll start whilst... Henderson's out, but I can't imagine Henderson has gone there. You know, would accept being bumped back to number two again. Don't, um, don't forget, Dean Henderson is the goalkeeper that wouldn't let Eric Ten Hag see him play at United because if he did, Ten Hag would try and persuade him out of going out on yeah, them because he's so yeah. good. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of it reminds me of when Queens Park Rangers signed Rob Green and they signed Rob Green to be the number one. And then suddenly Mark Hughes was just given Julie Cesar. And he was like, oh, well, yeah, sorry, Rob. The idea was that you were going to be number one. But, like, it's Julie Cesar. Of course he's going to play. And I just wonder if Henderson might not actually get any football now between now and the end of the season. Because if you want to pick a goalkeeper out of the two, you're picking Navas all day long, aren't you, regardless of his age? I would have thought so, yeah, definitely. And, and Henderson's certainly not, not backward in coming forward with his own opinions about various situations. So... I suspect there's going to be some choppy water over at uh, Nottingham Forest, don't you? The one thing Henderson's got in his favour, he's actually been in good form there, and um, yeah. you know, and he's got in touch with the crowd, and I think that's really, really, you know, that 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 could swing in his advantage. But you know, Navis is a hell of a good goalkeeper, which he's already proved, you know, and um, uh, so it'll be interesting uh, viewing on that one. We don't have too much longer left for this podcast, I don't believe. But um, Rick and AD, good win for you boys over Leeds United. Do you want to wrap up the podcast with just talking about that that performance? And from what I saw of it, it wasn't necessarily a great game in terms of free flowing football. But no, it wasn't. It was about the result. 
The last uh, 10 minutes were excellent. Yeah, they were. <laughs> yeah, quite. They Must were. be happy but with the, it. One good thing that did, did come out of that is, is Garnaccio, because he got a lot of stick during the week, particularly from, um, I'm not sure if you boys are aware of it, but this whole fan cam thing, United have got a particularly toxic branch of it and um, love nothing better than, there's a few of them, and they are really horrible individuals. And they're, 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 when United weren't doing well, they were thriving. And now United are doing well, they've got less stuff to moan about. And one of them actually, during the week, was calling out Garnaccio and saying that he'd never be good enough to play for United. And then the lad comes on and scores a goal like that. And fair play to him. Football does not need these these fan cam people because they, they do more harm than good. And uh, just just as a, as a sport, I, th- I think football needs rid of them. Was he called Man United fan? Uh, what's the United stand? There's there's one who... And the thing is that Sky are, are getting these idiots. There's one called Flex, who was the one that had a go at Garnaccio. And Sky are employing him as... And there's obviously Goldbridge, who's like the most well-known. He's an absolute muppet. And they're making a... They've, they've got no credibility whatsoever. And it is so frustrating that they've, they've got a platform and they've got kids coming up through. My son's one that watches these sorts of things. And it gives credence to the, their opinions. And they're not trained journalists. They're not ex-pros. They're, just, they're no different than getting a bloke off the street who's got something to, an axe to grind. And they're awful. And United have got to sort them out. And Arsenal started it. And I just think they're, they're a real plague on the game. Well, the unfortunately, moment. on that cheery note, we are going to have to end the podcast because I believe that we're coming up um, to the hour now. So, guys, all I could say is thank you very much for this cancelling session and i hope that the listeners at home as well as yourselves sort of feel a lot better now that i certainly feel a lot better we have an opportunity to get this off our chest i hope the well, listeners that's, that's have good, been Dave. able to dave it's good that you feel better now because in about two hours time you're going to feel terrible yeah. <laughs> Great. what's what's the betting that in two hours time you will be seething about a var decision yeah you know it could happen We'll have to reassemble and add 10 minutes on the end of the podcast. Yeah, it could happen. Um, Rick, thank you very much, as always. Always a pleasure. Never a chore. Steve, um, pleasure to have you on again, and never be afraid to rant on this podcast. Uh, Okay, I'm just warming up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thorpey, thank you very much. Before you're off jet-setting, so it is myself and Cy Fire, I believe, for the Notts County game on Saturday on Three Valleys Radio. Yeah. So uh, do enjoy that. Um, Thank you. And AD, I will uh, hand over to you as I sign off on Three Barley's Radio. Yeah. Well, thank you all for listening to Football, or is it VAR? Bloody hell. <laughs>